Hello and welcome to Minter Dialogue, episode number 306. Today is Sunday the 9th of December 2018. And just before introducing my guest for this week, I wanted to point out that I'm happy to feature your questions. For this purpose, I've set up a specific email, nminterdial at gmail.com, to which you can send me an audio file with your question, and I'll endeavor to answer it on a following podcast. Now on to my guest. Norm DeGrev is CMO of CVS Health. He's also a member of the Board of Directors for the ANA and Mobile Marketing Association. CVS Health, which is a Fortune number 7 company and was voted one of the most innovative companies by Fast Company this year, has undergone tremendous change. Norm has been at the heart of this change and innovation. In this conversation with Norm, we discuss CVS's journey, its most recent merger announcement with Aetna, the key moments and challenges Norm and the leadership team faced in charting this amazing path. A fascinating ride. Welcome to the Minter Dialogue podcast, where we discuss branding and all things digital. I am Minter Dial, your host, and you'll find the show notes on my eponymous site, MinterDial.com. Enjoy the show. Norm DeGrav, thanks for coming on my show. I had the pleasure of listening to you uh, once I got introduced to you by Margaret Malloy in New York, and you were talking about taking brave decisions as the CMO at CVS. And so I was immediately attracted to a lot of what you said, as well as, of course, this interesting shift that you've taken on board while at CVS. So, Norm, in your own words, who are you? (laughs) Who am I? Uh, So I am the chief marketing officer of CVS Health, uh, a job I've been in for about three and a half years. And before that, I helped run uh, one of the world's largest digital ad agencies, Digitas. Well, that must have been quite useful for you in this new position. One of the one of the things that you hear a lot about, of course, is this notion of who has digital. And I was wondering yeah. what, how is, where is digital in the C-suite at CVS? You mean organizationally? Yeah. Oh, uh, so I think you can split it into digital products and tools and digital marketing. Digital marketing is clearly with the digital, the marketing team. And digital products and tools, so our app, our websites, our e-com is with a separate digital team that focuses on that customer experience all day long. And then, of course, we work very closely together to drive people to use those things like e-commerce or telehealth or whatever it might be. And presumably today, the amount of e-commerce that CVS is doing is considerable, well, it's growing. It's growing really fast. It is a business, you know, given our traditional value prop, which you could broadly put in convenience and health pharmacy. They're not, you know, convenience, of course, is more about the store it has been for a long time, of course, switching more online. And so that's something that we're, we're growing in and health, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, still remains a very local uh, business. It's 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 going more online. You're getting telehealth. You're getting some D to C pharmaceutical providers, things like that, but uh, and some ordering of health OTC products, and you know, that's kind of like aspirin or Advil or things like that. Um, it's growing, but it's, it's a relatively small portion of the total pie. And so for us, uh, uh, e-com has been smaller, but is, you know, of course, the fastest growing part of our, our retail 
business. But to give you some just general perspective, if you think about CVS Health, half, less than half actually of what we do is through our through what people know as our retail stores. The rest is through uh, a company called Caremark, which is the uh, pharmacy benefits that people have with their insurance. Mm-hmm. And then at um, and, and CVS Pharmacy, only about a quarter of that is in the uh, front of the store, the retail store. Uh, the rest is all about prescriptions. And so, you know, just give some perspective of how important those different businesses are. And then as a result, how important e-com is to our business. So over the last three years, and the things that the reason why you were speaking at this event anyway, was how CVS has really shifted gears. And, and, and I would say the, the marking moment was this decision to stop selling cigarettes. But maybe how could you describe the journey that CBS has undertaken uh, in these last few years? Sure. Well, I mean, if you go back, it was it was a pharmacy, a drugstore, uh, and it actually grew a lot through acquiring drugstores uh, and you know, kind of rolling up part of that industry and operating them more efficiently and extending the brand that way. And, you know, I'd say somewhere around 10 years ago, uh, maybe yeah, around 10 years ago, the company bought um, – Caremark, which was the pharmacy benefit side, and then a couple years later bought um, uh, Minute Clinic. And so that began the whole transition from being a uh, drugstore, retail store with a pharmacy in the back to being a healthcare company. Then if you kind of go forward in 2014, we really made the big pivot, which is to say our growth trajectory will be about being a valued healthcare provider and partner to employers and health plans and others. And that's when we said it's, we just, you know, getting out of tobacco is a real problem. Uh, if you're saying you're going to be a valued healthcare partner. And so we got out of tobacco and, uh, six months later changed the name from CVS Caremark, two names that came together just because two companies merged Mm -hmm. to CVS health, a name that really reflected who we wanted to be and launched into being a healthcare company. So that was that was September of 2014, and uh, and then here we are, you know, kind of just about four, a little over four years later, and we're about to close the acquisition of Aetna, uh, which will then come in and be kind of our third largest division, but uh, really changes the whole dynamics of how the company can serve people and make money differently, and and so the 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 way to think about CVS is really as what will, what will be in a little bit the largest healthcare company in the country that happens to have 10,000 locations and local communities around the country to help with health. So the acquisition of Aetna, that's a radical shift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That, that's, I mean, well, it's radical in a couple of ways. One is, you know, people – you know, we, we, we were a supplier to Aetna. So, you know, they, they bought pharmacy benefits from us and now we buy them, right? So that's, that's a big surprise to, to a lot of people. I think if people were to think in their heads, if you were to ask just the average person on the street, which company is bigger, they'd probably say Aetna because yeah. it just feels like the insurance companies are bigger. Uh, and uh, like I said, they'll, they'll, be, they'll probably be about 25% of the revenues of the, of the combined company. But the radical piece of it is, you know, you have these insurance companies, and they know a lot about someone's health. Yeah. 
they see all the claims, right? But they but the challenge is people don't want to listen to their insurance company because they don't feel like their incentives are aligned to the person. I mean, there's, and, there's also, yeah, there's an underlying mistrust because of the small yeah. print and how you're going to get screwed when you do have an issue. Yeah, people are worried. Mm. They're worried that, that, the, that the insurance company wants to save money and that's not in my best interest as a, as, as a consumer. And then on the other hand, you have, which by the way isn't true because uh, if an insurance company can just help you stay healthier and avoid the hospital costs, sure. they make a lot more money than they do nickel and diming people yeah. for, for a cost. Uh, and then on the other hand, you have CVS, who we've you know, got these locations all across the country, and uh, you know, t- four and a half million people a day coming through our stores. But we don't actually know much about your health because we just know your pharmacy piece. So if you can put those two together and take the real knowledge that Aetna has and the trusted relationships that CVS has and put them together, we think it can create a new uh, a, a new healthcare model in the country. And this acquisition, uh, well, so I'll, I'll actually just go back to quickly the the cigarette piece, because that that too was a radical statement, but clearly not quite as big. I don't know how much cigarettes sales, tobacco sales, was as as a facet of the entire piece, yeah. but I mean, it, it must have been two small. billion dollars. It was. Oh, it was billion. two billion dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a it's a lot of money, even uh, in a big company. That's, that's a, lot a of chunk money. of change. <laughs> okay, and and with regard to the. The purchase of Aetna, and I'm thinking about this notion of being customer-centric. It's a data play. It's a customer data play. Um, and and how has it participated in your transformation into the digital world? Is it Was it like the king piece? Was it like, oh, the obvious consequence of your thought? How did they go around? Well, um, I'd say there's two ways to think to look at that. One is if you really look at what's driving success in the digital world uh those companies have data at the core and some way of making things easier (laughs) uh, or or also known as more convenient Mm -hmm. and um and that is what this gives us it gives us data at the core and the ability to make healthcare more convenient and so in, if you kind of take the digital as if you kind of think of it as the digital era and what drives success in that era, we have the two elements now that drive success in that era, and that that is really uh, important for us. the The other piece is that, of course, it gives you the digital side. It, it gives entirely new tools and ways of uh, of helping people. Now, if you look at the healthcare landscape, it's littered with companies, digital companies, apps sites, everybody who uh, were based on customer acquisition and they failed. They just have no users. It's not that they actually can't provide value. It's that people just didn't sign up for them. Yeah, the distribution is a problem. Yeah. And so, you know, it's really health is like one of these things that I think for a lot of people is at the intersection of fear and complexity. And, you know, uh, and and there's just a lot of uh, emotional issues in that. And it means that to be successful, a real core piece of it is a human relationship. Now, that can be through a phone or it can be through somewhere else, but like a trusted human relationship. And then if you think about, so what drives success going forward? Brand, trust, and personal relationships that are conveniently located and data to help you know how to help someone and also appropriate risks to take are really at the core. 
Mm. I, I, as I'm thinking about listening to you, you know, we all have our health issues. We get to do this. And I was recently in Estonia. I've been there a couple of times this year. And and what they've done is remarkable because they now have a, a singular identity card on which all of my taxes, by the way, as well as all my health data is stored. So when I go in to one doctor, I don't need to take my records. All my records are available for that doctor to see according to the rights that you're given, plus all my MRIs and whatever else. And so there's a the role of the state is absolutely incredibly large. And of course, you got on the other side, you got the payouts and the insurance companies, well, you know, the Medicaid, sorry, and the Medicare and all that kind of stuff that are part of your ecosystem. But they're it's hard to get them all galvanized together. Well, um, what you just said is actually really interesting because uh, the digitization of healthcare records is partially what's going to enable the next generation of a uh, next generation of operating model in healthcare. So there were like healthcare records weren't digital at all. We didn't have that. And now that they're digital and they can become portable, that changes a lot of things, which is which is really important. I'd also say in healthcare more generally, if you look at if you kind of think about the digital space and information that's driving healthcare, you know, DNA is the information system for the body. So that's, that's having a huge impact on healthcare and health and medicine and what, can, what should be done. So you have these two things that are happening. Uh, and then you have new access channels through, um, through the phone and other places, which also helps it. So I don't think if it wasn't for these things, it would be just very, very hard for healthcare to, to, be, to, to move forward in, the, in, a, in a new operating model in the digital world because you'd be stuck with paper for the most part. I mean, it's still here's – here's a remarkable fact. Faxes are still actively <laughs> used in the healthcare industry. I literally – it's really surprising. Can I fall off my chair? <laughs> seriously, you, you know, now know the last people to buy fax machines in the world. <laughs> it's like – it is the healthcare industry. Fax machines. I'm serious. Right now, today, every day – we are sending thousands of faxes to doctors who are faxing us back about their prescription. Well, does that say something about the doctor's practice, that they aren't up to date? Is that where the problem is, or is it hospitals? Well, it's, it's a bit more, I think, of like network externalities of how the whole thing works because, um, you know, it's like, well, if one party's faxing and the other party's not faxing, it's like, how does it all move forward, which I think is the digitization mm. of of uh, of the records and and prescriptions and everything else it, it will happen but it is amazing how mm. far just to get a sense of how far behind we are so you have the uh digitization of health records which is obviously going to be core you've got the data uh play with Aetna in particular you said before that e-commerce really isn't quite as big how big is social media uh, part of your, uh, you know, as a CMO, obviously, I'm going to imagine it's a bigger piece, but can you give me a weighting as to the importance of social in your, in the CVS world? Yeah, sure. So, so from a, from a marketing standpoint, let me pivot now to a marketing standpoint versus just a, a company operation standpoint. Social is, I don't, I'm, you know, it's, it's core to what we do. I was going to say, is it number one or two or three, but it doesn't matter. It's core to what we do. It's because that's where people are, and that's what they're doing, and that's where the data is that's really helpful in targeting them. And the canvas is better than um, the canvas that you get in other advertising mediums uh, on the mobile device. So, you know, the, even a pre-roll ad 
can look pretty small on a, on a mobile device. Sure. Whereas in social, it actually is meant for that screen, and so it looks it looks pretty good, and the data's good, and um, and the time spent make, makes a lot of sense. From a social standpoint, on the healthcare side, then if I pivot over that way, there are growing social communities for people with complex conditions. So think about you know kind of chronic diseases you'd be you'd be thinking a lot about every day. And there's sites like Patients Like Us or Patients Like Me, I think it is. And um, and uh, that's where people who have the same condition get together and they have a community that way. And so, you know, as you know, it's like the redefinition of community from from where your house is located to what your interests uh, are. And that's, that's a community. So socials really enabled those people to connect together and share ideas about how to manage their conditions. And... Um, I don't see that slowing down any time soon. And when you're in these communities uh, where people have, uh, you know, patients like me, issues like me, does CVS attempt to want to go in and participate there or have them come to you as one typically wants? No, yeah, it's a really tricky thing. Not no is the answer uh, because it's, uh, you know, we're really not invited. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, you, you know, anything that would feel commercial would feel like um, you know, just out of place in those communities. And um, so, you know, I think if you have value add that you can add in those communities with people participating with them, that's great. But if you start to seem commercial, I, I just think it's, uh, it's not the right, it's not the right spot and not a place we would go for marketing other than if we had somebody who could highlight, services that are really targeted to that group that would be particularly valuable to that yeah. group. you got to go with very uh, appropriate, authentic language and yeah. uh, undersell. Um, so I, one of the other areas of complete interest to me, Norm, because uh, you know I, I worked a little bit at L'Oreal, sure. is what you guys have been up to in, this, in the beauty space. Absolutely yeah. stunning. Uh, so could you tell us how, how what kind of movement you all have made uh, at CVS with regard to beauty. Yeah, so uh, let me go back and, and just talk about where we where we were and, and what we did and then we'll talk about where we're, where we're going. Um, so, you know, if you look back uh, over the last few years, you can really see, and, and you know this well, the transformation of the beauty industry from really top-down control to bottoms-up control. So top-down meaning you know, most of the trends and the products and what you should wear were really controlled by a limited set of brands through a limited set of distribution channels with A-list celebrities. And, you know, you kind of go <laughs> into um, certain magazines and that and, and TV shows and things like that. And that that's really how the industry was driven. Uh, and um, and if and along the way, of course, uh, people became companies became obsessed with uh, perfection. Uh, and they started uh, airbrushing uh, a lot of what the models look like. And, you know, what, what has always struck me as we looked at this was at some point someone decided the most beautiful women in the world were not beautiful enough to sell their product, which is really actually a stunning thing. And, uh, and I don't think anybody would actually admit it that way, but that is mm. where we ended up. Yep. Uh, and, and so – at the same time, what was hap- what was happening? Well, you had the rise of YouTube and, and beauty bloggers, and you had the rise of Instagram, and you know millions of photos happening, and those were all taking off because uh, consumers could find the people who were posting really relatable. They were like, you know, they 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 would wear great makeup, but they would wear their flaws on their sleeve, and in the combination of both, 
there was a real power. And so what then started happening was the beauty brands that were started to drive a tremendous amount of the growth in the industry were actually these independent, socially driven brands started by individuals. And uh, and so when we stood back and said, well, here we are as the second largest seller of beauty in the country uh, and, you know, growing a changing dynamic uh, in the industry with different retailers out there. What's our role? How does it fit into healthcare, which we're all about? And, how, and, and who are we in this business? Why should someone come to us? Like, for example, why should they come to our website and, and use us? And so we observed the trends, not just with consumers, but also with their purchasing habits and, and saw these independent brands growing. And uh, we kind of came to the conclusion that, you know, we, we were less about uh, flash and glitz and, uh, and um, airbrushing, and we were more about beauty in real life. Uh, and, you know, giving people some guilt-free, stress-free me time, we like to say. And so then we, ha- then we had this idea to bring it to life, so to really own that, to make a commitment. Uh, we introduced the beauty market. It was our commitment not to Photoshop any of the images in our beauty marketing. That was one part of it. And this, is, this was a commitment by 2020. And, uh, and, then, and our stores would reflect that. And then we asked all of our partners – uh, like L'Oreal and others, uh, to we said if you're, we want you to put one of two marks in your images in our in our stores or in our email channel or on our site, either the beauty mark indicating it hasn't been materially digitally altered, or words saying digitally altered. We were not trying to shame or guilt anyone. We were just trying to provide transparency to consumers. Uh, and why were we trying to do that? Partially to stake our position, but partially if you really look, think about your position as beauty in real life, and you think about 80% of women feeling worse after they see a beauty bad. 80%. Yeah. There, there's, a gra- there's a great quote. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, from the woman who was in Black Panther. Uh, she's a supermodel. I forget exactly her name, but she said uh, for her entire life, she had been sold the seduction of her inadequacy. And it's just like it says it perfectly and chillingly uh, that that is how we're operating. And we don't have to. People should wear makeup and have fun, uh, but do it because it makes them happy, not because they're trying to live up to something that came out of a computer and they can never be. It's remarkable when I listen to you because at some level, you know, for example, cosmetics when you've had cancer surgery or, you know, when there's a real opportunity to restore some kind of confidence and some kind of sense of self. And then you've got this other sort of put down in complete opposition to that sentiment. It's, it's, uh, it is remarkable. Uh, And I think it worked for a long time when the power structure in the industry was different. Yeah, there wasn't Uh, enough pushback. Right, and now and now there is, and I got to tell you, you know, the brands that we have in our stores, we have worked with them to uh, on this to really define a standard in a practical way. Not in a, not we weren't watering it down, but there were like there's lots of nuance as well. Like, what if it's a flyaway hair? What if it's this sorts of thing? And so you know, we had to work it through in more detail, and they've all been terrific. They have been fantastic, and I can tell you, without disclosing any names, people are changing their campaigns they are changing how they shoot their models they are uh they are in 100 percent agreement with this uh idea not just because it's right to do but because they see it as reflective of what today's consumer wants and uh i'm highly confident that we are uh 
we're going to achieve our goals. We said by 2020, I, we're going to achieve our goals uh, well ahead of that. So uh, you basically, as a marketing executive at a cosmetics company, uh, what happens is that because I'm doing this for you, it's unlikely that I'm going to leave my photographs to other distributors uh, retouched. So in other words, yeah. I'm going to have to have, because I can't have, let's say, Christy Turlington looking beautiful in one and a little bit more normal in the other. Uh, just yep. to, to use the terminology. Yeah, yeah. And so they, they've all had to adhere to this everywhere. Well, um, I, you know, you, ideally, yes. Uh, <laughs> sometimes that takes time, uh, just as a practical reality. You know, people have stuff, tons of campaigns going, tons of photos, tons of... And so sometimes they might start with just CVS, but, but you're right, for efficiency, it's really hard to manage two sets of photos going across your business. And do you have a, like a, I'm thinking thought police, no, a, a system of verification of this retouching visit? It, it, it could be simple to, you know, hide it from you maybe. Yeah, it could be. And so, you know, one thing is we don't want to be the police. So all, what we said to, to our partners was you send us a photograph with one of the two marks on it. You choose against these guidelines so we agreed on the guidelines you you look at the guidelines you put the mark on it it's the honor system and then once a year we'll do an audit to make sure that uh it's indeed true but we're not going to be in a position where you know we're, we're, we're saying that one looks retouched or that one doesn't it's, it's not practical but it's also um you know we're all adults here yeah. uh and if you're going to sign up for it then you know you, you can you can do it one of the words that I, I like, I appreciate you, you mentioning is this idea of partners. Um, sometimes yeah. the word vendor is used mm. and, yeah. and yeah. it comes with a whole lot of baggage. That, But a lot of people use the word partner, but it doesn't exactly stand up to the test of, of time. It's true. Uh, and I know exactly what you mean. I, there's probably areas in our business where you know uh, people would, would be more vendors than partners. Beauty, for sure, is a different area than that, given how closely you have to work together. And then think about really what's happening, which is the, the D2C companies, direct-to-consumer companies, are showing up everywhere and growing like crazy. We, as a retailer... <laughs> But like you know, uh, need products that aren't avoiding our channel, and many of the big brands are competing with those direct to consumer uh, uh, companies. And so, in partnership between us and these great brands, that's how we're going to get to the an answer that works the best for both of us. And in a way, I think there was always there's always like a nice oh, wouldn't it be great if we worked together and we're one company? <laughs> True, uh, but in this case, we're actually. The, the mutual benefits are much more clear uh, that because of their competitive dynamics than they than they were in the past. I've always considered the uh, relationship with distributors uh, at odds, which whichever channel it was, whether it was through hairdressing, which is the area that I was in, or department stores, or or pharmacy which is more distinct, of course, in Europe than it is in the States or in England. Mm -hmm. But how do, you, how do you describe the way that CVS goes about trying to develop this partnership? And, and maybe I'm specifically looking at how does one develop trust in such a oftentimes hostile, let's say, competitive environment? Uh, it is a good question. So 
um, trust is built over time. You get that. It's so that, you know, it's not like you can just say we trust each other right away. But we've been together with, with, with you know, if you take a L'Oreal, we've been together with them for a very, very long time, as you know. And, uh, and with these other brands uh, as well. And so, you know, when it, it, it comes into um, – there's a negotiation. Listen, we all want to get the best price. That, that doesn't go away. Uh, but then think about all the other areas. Well, what's the experience? Well, why, why won't we have a better experience if we do it together? And we will. And we actually, we've learned that we will. Uh, and then um, take uh, what, what do we have? We have tons of great data. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do the brands have? They actually spend uh, a lot of money on marketing their products to build equity. Well, what if we could use our data to help make their advertising work harder? That's better for them. It's more efficient for them, and it's better for us because, you know, those ads probably carry a come to CVS uh, call to action on them. And so I, I think maybe the, um, I think maybe the palette of options is broader than it was before uh, as well. And and the consumer, ex- if you take experience, you know, there just wasn't as much of a competition for experience what, I don't know, you choose five years ago, 10 years ago, it's certainly been growing, right? And mm-hmm. so as digital is really growing, the experience has to be great for us and the experience has to be great for the brands. And so I think I think maybe it's just the dynamics have changed a little bit where because of the options and because of the consumer control, it's in our mutual best interest to, to work together. You know, we do spend time, though, like, like in any negotiation or in anything, you've you got to think, like, what's in the other party's best interest? Because if it's not in their best interest, they're, they're going to they're gonna go find something else that is. And so you just have to work that way. Well, at some level, there's, like, the best interest that they have thinking for you as well as vice versa. Because if it's only one way, you're thinking about their best interest as opposed to the other way around, then it feels unbalanced. Yeah, that's right. That's right. One of the things you guys are also leading uh, uh, is this notion of being customer centric mm. it's a term a lot of companies are using but i'm yeah. interested to see how you think that cvs's approach is is stronger uh, and at least legitimate yep um our so if you were an amazon you'd say customer centric is about having a great e-com site uh, and returns and day shipping. Right. Ours is ours comes down to our stores and the way people are treated, uh, and uh, and how we interact with them every day. And you know, clearly, every anyone who has this many stores and this many people always has opportunities to be better. But <laughs> I, I give you, yeah, you know, I I can give you an an example that we talked about when we were in New York, which was uh, empathy, and you know, we measure how every person in every store delivers empathy weekly. Uh, and so uh, we do it through a whole customer survey tool. It's actually the largest customer survey in the world, uh, given the number of stores, and the number of people we survey. And we accumulate the data so that we can then give it back to a store and then back to the individual employees. And then they can have a conversation about, you know, what was strong and good and what were the opportunities. And, uh, and we're complementing that going forward with even more direct um, interaction and back and forth with the customer. So we'll be able to then respond to the customer and talk to them about what their concerns were or what their, you know, their, their praise was. And I just think that the, uh, that the, 
return from being more customer centric is growing. In other words, you could you could play the United, you know, breaks guitars thing or whatever. And so, so there, there are risks. I get it. And I think the other side is true too. somebody treated well these days actually remembers that a lot too when they come back. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, I, I love this survey of empathy, of course, but the notion of giving feedback to the employee, I have in my mind, if I were to be in a position uh, running a company today, I, that I would focus on being employee-centric in order to serve a customer better. I like that. I like that. Uh, we haven't called it that, um, but I really like what you did. I like the way you just phrased it. Um, it is, it is both, but you know, it, in other words, if, if we're expecting our employees to deliver care, how do we treat our employees with care? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and if you, if you do one, it begets the other. Uh, and I think it's really, um, it's really true. In fact, you know, I think the role companies play in people's lives I, uh, uh, is really evolving in my mind. Uh, you know, we spend so much time at companies. We are increasingly choosing companies that share our same values. Totally. Why, why is that important? Well, it's because it's a choice I can make. Because well, you got, you're spending 60 hours a day or, you know, whatever, 40 hours, if you want to be politically correct, yeah. at that place. And life is short. I totally. And... Um, and, you know, it feels great to be at a place that shares those values and people care more than they ever have before, just like they care about that when they buy products. Uh, and so and by the way, that's not other just simple things. You get all your benefits from a company, your retirement to your company. Like sure. it's actually in a way it is its own, um, uh, you know, community and, and entity in your life that that helps helps you. Uh, that you choose when you as as you grow grow older. One of the things that's for sure about CVS and the pharmacist's position is that there is an embedded trust in that profession, as opposed to the pharmaceutical companies, who have a, a harder gay. They sh you know they they're given less slack because they're in an mm -hmm. industry where they're supposed to be providing health, but they're not yeah. quite as viewed that way. Whereas you guys, the pharmacist. That type of proximity does garner trust. Listen, I, 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 Norma, I can't believe it. I, time is running out. I need to ask you uh, two more questions. One is, yeah, sure. what is the technology that you think or the technologies that you think are really going to be super exciting in your area uh, over the next couple of years? In my area, marketing or in my area, healthcare? Well, both, actually, because in the end of the day, it, it shows where your interest is, if you will, and where you think the technologies can be best suited to your strategy. Um, let me do healthcare. The idea of telehealth has been around for a little bit and had zero traction, <laughs> you know, essentially. Everybody's mm -hmm. been trying to get it to have traction, <laughs> but it hasn't gotten traction. But it is going to get traction. <laughs> Think and, and the convenience that a device can provide for your health so you don't have to take extra time off of work to go have a consultation with a doctor or something else and the data that it can read and the interaction you can have with experts and maybe not even experts, by the way, AI, which turns out that actually consumers are more comfortable with AI many times than they are with a doctor because it's more knowledgeable and less biased and less judging. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, indeed, that's, by the way, this is the whole story of empathy, right? Totally, totally. Actually, it's a, you're totally right. Yes, exactly right. You know, it, it's really true. So that will happen, and it will 
accelerate if you go to the the um you know rate kurzweil singularity is near curves and where we are in the exponential growth we are at the inflection point we have the digital records we have the dna for the body we have the digital channels and the interactive we have the the daily data collection we will you know apple just announced the other day that they want to enable the veterans uh, army uh, vet- veterans to put all their health records at, on their phone and they'll have that it's portable all of this is coming together so we are at the beginning of the super acceleration in healthcare that is all powered by digital technology. So, you know, you can choose the ones, but that's what's really exciting about it. That's neat. Norm, my last question for you then is just uh, how can someone follow you, get in touch if they're really in heated need or, uh, you know, just understand what, what you're up to and your thoughts? The best thing to do is follow me on Twitter at Endegrev, N-D-E-G-R-E-V-E, uh, and uh, you can DM me on Twitter. Uh, and that's really the, the best way to get in touch with me. All right. Well, Norm, thanks so much for being on the show. It's been absolutely thrilling to hear. And I'm, you know, the, the things you're doing are remarkable. They, there's some, there's some. I mean, of course, you're in a business, but there is a beautiful level of mission underneath everything you're doing. It seems. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's very motivating. I can tell you that. Anyway, it was great speaking with you. We should do it more often. Sounds good. Thanks for having listened to this recording of the Minter Dialogue Show. You'll find the show notes and other blog posts on MinterDial.com. If you enjoyed the show, please like the handy Facebook button. Or better yet, head over to iTunes to give a rating and review. But first, relax to Joss Sachs's finger paint. Oh, fill me with all your colors any different way to rid me of the gray. You mentioned in your lack of self-security Oh, I wouldn't care about the art form As long as you would feel warm Wrapped in canvas, hold me tightly Slowly we would paint a lover's portrait With all your favorite shades
Hey friends, this is Jim Knight, former 21-year Hard Rock executive turned best-selling author and top 10 keynote speaker. And I'm Brant Menzwar, former frontman of Hollywood's most dangerous band turned top 10 motivational speaker and best-selling author. We host the how-to podcast, Thoughts That Rock, where we talk to rock stars, athletes, CEOs, astronauts, and even next-door neighbors who share their expertise and opinions. Together, we tackle the most interesting and challenging topics of today. Whether you want to learn how to become more confident, how to deal with anxiety at work, or how to write a hit song, or use Brazilian jiu-jitsu in life, we've got hundreds of episodes to help amp up your life and move you forward. Subscribe to Thoughts That Rock wherever you listen to podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com for more information.